Overdrafting? Nonsense. We talked to Nick Shook from NFL Network and around the NFL. NFL.com coming up next. You are Locked On Lions, your daily Detroit Lions podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, here we go, everybody. Matt Derry with you. It is a Thursday episode, Locked On Lions, Locked On Podcast Network, Thursday, May 18th, and a Friday, May 19th. Thanks for checking us out wherever you get your podcast. Shout out to the everydayers out there, those of you that watch or listen each and every day. Appreciate you. And if you follow us on Twitter at Derry Speaks and Locked On Lions, thank you, the Matt Derry Facebook fan page, and those of you subscribing and watching for free on the Locked On Lions. YouTube channel. Nick Shook is our guest today. We love having Nick on from the NFL uh, Network, NFL.com, around the NFL. Read Nick all the time. Does a great job as a, uh, a writer and analyst for the NFL. We're going to have Nick on to talk about the Lions offseason a little bit, what he sees in the division and everything else coming up momentarily here on the show. Those of you that are making us your first listen, thank you for doing that as well right here on Locked On Lions. We've been with you and doing this show since 2016. Can you believe that? So if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for watching, listening, etc. cetera. Um, quick note before we get Nick on. Uh, Dove Kleiman, sometimes I like his stuff, sometimes I don't, tweeted out, one of these NFL writers uh, uh, yesterday, a video off of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers website, kind of a behind-the-scenes video of what the Bucs were looking for as they were drafting number 19 in the first round. Now, Tampa Bay had the pick after the Lions did at number 18, so there were in the Bucks war room, you had Jason Light, their uh, GM. You had Todd Bowles, their head coach, uh, et cetera. And uh, they're waiting for Detroit to get on the clock at, at 18. And uh, it was obvious from this video that the Bucks really liked Kalijah Kansi, but and that's who they drafted at 19. But they had their eye on Jack Campbell, too. And Bowles was saying, man, Jack Campbell is such a Dan Campbell type of player. And then the Lions selected Jack, of course, the linebacker from Iowa. And the Bucs waited until the pick was in, and then they immediately called Kalijah Kansi, and they have the, the phone call with Light and with uh, 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 Bowles with Kansi, et cetera. And, you know, they made a point of saying, look, we had three players we really liked there. A couple of them got taken. But Kalijah was at the top of our board, which is what every team says all the time. But the reason I bring this up is, and we're going to ask Nick Shook about it, is the folks that are still bashing the Lions draft or saying Gibbs at 12 is an overdraft. Campbell at 18, you could have gotten him in the second round. And I'm guilty of sometimes doing that when I look at this stuff. But it's interesting to see behind the scenes from other teams' videos where they're openly in the room, in the war room, talking about players like Jack Campbell saying, man, he's a Dan Campbell type of guy. Do you think he'll still be there? And the Lions take him. So the Bucks can say, Kalijah Kansi was number one on their board at 19. But I'm telling you, if you watch this video, it looked to me like they were going to take Jack Campbell uh, at 18 or at 19 if the Lions hadn't taken him. So, um, again, that means other GMs around the league are thinking just like Brad Holmes was thinking when making that kind of selection. So I think it makes you feel good about the Lions picks and the Lions pick of Jack Campbell at 18. Now, you, everybody knows I was a Cansey fan. I would love to have seen him, but 
I think he'll do well in Tampa Bay as well, playing with Big Vita and others um, down there. Nick Shook coming up next. we got to tell you first, though, about our friends at Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack, don't want all the calories. I just saw it today. Built Bar sent me in my email these new Built Crispy Bars, mint and peanut butter. They are extra crispy. And again, they're only 170 calories. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market. I have one each and every day. I love the cookies and cream bar. I had the churro puffs the other day, the marshmallow puffs, and they're fantastic. The best thing about Built Bars is they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And again, most of them are only about 130 to 150 calories. You get four grams of sugar and that's it. So it's not like a candy bar. And a whopping 17 grams of protein. So if you're trying to eat right and get that protein in your system, you got to check out Built Bar. I'm not sure how they do it, but they're fantastic. Go to Built.com to order yours or get them at Walmart and even at Sam's Club. My wife is at Sam's Club on the way home right now. Should hit her up and tell me to get that 13-bar box from Sam's Club. Built.com, locked 15 for 15% off your order at Built.com. It is Built Bar. Always enjoy our conversations with Nick Shook, NFL.com, around the NFL. See him all the time on the NFL Network as well. He joins us today. Nick, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here again. Tell me what your thoughts are on, on the Lions. You know, it, it's interesting. The draft has come and gone, and it was it was weird kind of watching how the draft went here in Detroit because the first two picks were, were head scratchers at first, and then after you learn more about the guys and you, you understand kind of the process, Everybody seemed to like the draft. And again, now heading into June here as we get there, people picking Detroit to to win the division. What are your thoughts on it? Well, you can count me in the group that liked the draft class right off the bat. I understood that everybody, you know, kind of bashed them for, well, you know, you could get these guys later. You overdrafted them. Overdrafting, in my opinion, first off, is, is just a, a theory that's typically not proven to be accurate because – the only basis you have for judging an overdraft is the consensus or near consensus opinion of where that player is is valued. And so often we see in drafts that players who were valued highly end up not being that good. Players who were picked later end up being much better. So from a team perspective, you have to trust your process. You have to trust your eyes more than anything. And if these guys fit your plans and you take them at a specific spot, then then do it. Go get your guy. If he's your guy, go get your guy. Now, it was interesting to see where they drafted Jameer Gibbs because, you know, he, he was expected to be the second back off the board, which he was, but uh, not that early, right? Well, B. John Robinson went in the top 10. I think that kind of alters your draft plans a little bit, um, you know, because you're still kind of having to make your picks based on what's happening around you. And as they proved with the DeAndre Swift trade, uh, they were ready to move on and rebuild that backfield and complete it, and they felt that Gibbs was that guy. So, again, if that's your guy, you go get your guy. And Jack Campbell, you know, this is not a strong linebacking class, and he was the best linebacker in that group, and that was a piece that they needed. And they probably felt that that's where he fit in terms of order. And and I was very happy with the pick because I think he's a guy, you know, you don't typically see an off-ball linebacker taken that early, at least in today's day and age where you use so many sub-packages. But uh, if he's your guy again and you need that position, you go get him as well. He's going to be a guy who's, I think, going to be very reliable for the next half decade to a decade. And that's worth the pick, in my opinion. So uh, as much criticism as they received, I think it was overblown. It's also why I don't like draft grades in general, because what are we going off of again? Their college production and where they rank among all these people who break down the draft, which ultimately 
oftentimes does not prove to be accurate two, three years from now. So overall, like their draft a lot. Those are two talented players. It was just the start of a, of a class that's filled with talent. Sam Laporta, I loved his workout. I feel like he was a late riser among the tight ends there. And, uh, and it all fits in into what has been a very productive offseason for them. They addressed a number of needs. They added talent in, in a number of areas. And it's a division that's wide open. Uh, you know, Minnesota won 13 games last year. But do you really think that they're that good? I don't. Yeah. Um, I think they they overachieved mm -hmm. the Packers. We don't know what they're going to be with Jordan Love and the Bears are still working their way back toward contention. So it's the, the time is now for the Lions to to seize the opportunity and build on what they did last year. And I think they took some really good steps. You, you just totally threw me off there because Jim Caldwell used to say the time is now. Uh, Jameer, Jameer Gibbs, <laughs> Jameer Gibbs on the field with David Montgomery. Can you see that right off the bat? Yeah, I mean, anytime you want to implement two-back situations in, in, in formations, I think that having guys who can do a couple of different things will benefit you. Uh, I think back to the Browns and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, which I don't think they used enough of, but when they did do it, it was really difficult to defend them. Um, and I think you can do even more with the Lions and Gibbs' ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, his his most common comparison is Alvin Kamara. You had Alvin Kamara and David Montgomery to the same backfield, an offense that was already very explosive last year. I think the sky is the limit for you. So I love what they did in rebuilding that backfield, um, which you had in Swift and Jamal Williams last year was, was nice. It was good. I feel like they upgraded. Uh, I think a lot of people slept on David Montgomery because he played for the Bears. They're going to be surprised by the production that he brings. And I think Gibbs is a player who's very explosive, um, not typically your traditional between-the-tackles runner, but I still think he can do a little bit of damage there. And you add both those guys into the mix, and especially at the same time, you can go a number of different directions. It makes you even harder to defend. Nick Shook with us, NFL.com, NFL Network. Uh, Sam Laporta, you mentioned uh, last week at Rookie Minicamp, just kind of tore it up. And I know it's Rookie Minicamp, but, um, you know, do you see a, a scenario where he could end up being better than TJ Hawkinson was here? Well, I think they're slightly different types. Um, you know, ba same background, right? Iowa kids. But Hawkinson was very much a traditional inline tight end. Uh, he was a guy you could count on for an eight yard out and catch the ball, maybe break a tackle. But um, and, and he was productive, you know, in Minnesota after he was traded. But I think that Laporta is a little bit more athletic and will is more. He resembles more of the future of the position than the past. Um, and if they're going to continue to throw the ball down the field. Uh, you know, especially with the the loss of a guy like Jameson Williams due to suspension, things like that. Um, you're gonna need all those guys available, and I think Laporta is gonna be able to step in and find that uh, he'll be much more productive in an offense that can actually throw the football than one at Iowa that could not. And uh, and it will be a big help for for Jared Goff in this offense, and and just help them kind of continue to take the next step as a group overall. So I'm excited about him. Uh, you know, again, a late riser. Michael Mayer was like among the top tight ends in this yeah. group for a lot of last year. Um, and you saw why he compares to Jason Witten. I was surprised he didn't go to Dallas, but I was happy that the Lions didn't go that route. And they went with somebody like Laporta instead, who I think is going to a lot like some of these other players like David Montgomery. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people who probably didn't pay a lot of attention to Iowa football or didn't see a lot of highlights of Iowa scoring because they don't score very often. <laughs> no, no, it was always painful to watch Iowa play even against uh, Michigan or Ohio state. Uh, when we watch those games here in Big Ten country, and Nick is as well uh, up in Ohio. Tell me about, you know, the Lions never steal players. It's almost like it's the history of, oh, they got their eye on a guy and he gets taken one slot ahead or whatever. Brian Branch getting kind of dropping in their lap. They, they trade up to get him, but he was there getting him in the second round. What does that mean for this team moving forward? 
might not play a ton this year with all those one-year deals with the guys in the back end, but it's a guy that in the, in the past the Lions could never get their hands on. Yeah, it's so funny because, um, you know, he was listed as a corner and he was working out with the corners at the combine. But when you watched him work, you're like, that guy's a box safety. Like that guy, that's his future. He's not going to be, you know, he, he might be able to play a little slot corner, but he's not going to be on the outside. And I think that that's really compliments exactly what you have in that secondary because, you know, you already went and got CJ Gardner Johnson and, and kind of, you know, uh, added to, to that group, I guess. And, and he can play, you know, your slot or your box safety if you want, uh, depending on how you sort out this, this defense overall, but you got Cam Sutton at corner, you got Emmanuel Mosley, you really, you know, cycled through what you had last year and added better talent there. And I think he's going to fit in there as somebody else that you could put, you know, I think even in some defenses, like the star position in some defensive schemes, I think that's part of Nick Saban's scheme. Um, but Branch could maybe, you know, man that role as well. I think he's a player that you don't need to play every snap, but has the pedigree of coming from Alabama and and the physical tools to be able to occupy the box and, and make a difference there and round out that defense. Cause you know, as you know, more than anybody else, um, this Lions defense had a lot of issues early before they started yeah. to figure things out. And if you continue to add quality talent, especially in the back end where they were so susceptible last year, um, you know, it, it's only going to benefit them. I think he's going to fit in really well. By the way, speaking of the defense, there were a couple of uh, uh, publications the other day that were, and I mentioned this on the show yesterday, that were saying, oh, Jadevian Clowney to the Lions. That should be a fit. And it, yeah, and I said, I can't wait to have Nick Shook on tomorrow because a guy that quit on his team and bashed the entire organization in the middle of the season uh, probably doesn't fit the Lions culture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was late, so I understand. They didn't have much to play for. He let his frustrations be known. I, I have a hard time breaking that down because – it's not surprising to come from a guy like Clowney who has been a, a mercenary of sorts in recent years, you know, with his free agency process being dried out annually. He waits really long before he signs. I don't know if it's because he's pulling the Michael Strahan route and doesn't want to go through camp or OTAs and minicamp, whatever it is, or if it's just that's just how he conducts business because he's changed agents and he's still doing the same thing. Um, it, it, so it kind of fits his archetype. But I also know that the Browns did not like Joe Woods. A lot of those defenders did not like Joe Woods, their former defensive coordinator. They were often confused on what they should do. It led to massive blown coverages, stunning defeats like the game against the Jets earlier in the season last year. I think everybody was pretty fed up with where the defense was with him at the helm. So I think it was a little bit of both. The, the weird part about it was the whole, you're scheming Miles Garrett to be productive and you know making me pay the bill for this dinner that we're both having, right? Um, I, you kind of sign up for that when you play with Miles Garrett. You know, he's he's going to constantly welcome a chip, a second, you know, additional attention. And you think in your head, well, that's going to free me up. But sometimes you want to get your best player in the best possible position to make a difference. They're going to do that. I think any team's going to do that. So it was, a, it was a weird end to it. It wasn't super surprising, but it was weird. And it does cause you to pause when you think about adding him to your team. But if you can get him to get past those actions i don't i wouldn't call them personality traits but the history of of acting like that um then he could be you know a, a welcome addition to a defense i wouldn't expect him to rack up 10 15 sacks that's not who he is whether it's because of health or just lack of production um but you add it to a group that's already got aiden hutchinson in there uh, and Romeo aquara and 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 charles harris and and you can go on the list and even talk about john kaminsky and their what is their three four front um I, I, it doesn't hurt to add quality players as long as you have the cap space and you're willing to take on that this guy might be a problem, you know, occasionally if you're not <laughs> winning. Nick Shook with us. I want to ask him about the future of the quarterback position here in Detroit and also the uh, Hendon Hooker uh, uh, acquisition in the draft. We'll do that coming up next.
Our guest today from around the NFL, NFL.com. Read them all the time and see them on the NFL Network. Nick Shook is uh, with us. What would you think of the hooker uh, draft and, and grabbing him in round three? And, and as you look from a little bit of afar at this Lions quarterback situation and Jared Goff having two more years, how do you kind of peer at that a little bit, Nick? I loved it. Um, this is a guy in Jared Goff who has very, very often, his future has constantly been called into question. So much that people wondered if the Lions would spend a top pick on a quarterback this year, an expedite a split. I don't see a reason for that. He played pretty well last year, had yeah. you know near career numbers. They were a very productive offense. He seemed to fit in with what they wanted to do. Why move on from that guy when he's getting comfortable in this offense? Um, I don't have the highest expectations for him. I don't think he's going to threaten the passing record or anything like that, but I think that he's proven that he can be you know a competent quarterback in this offense. He's not the guy he was at the end of his Rams tenure where, you know, you knew he was going to cause some problems, turn the ball over, miss guys, whatever it is. Um, so why not continue with that? And I think Hennon Hooker is the perfect complement to that because he's a guy coming off of a significant injury. He's older, but he also needs to adjust to the pro offense after playing in uh, Josh Heupel's offense, which you know benefits statistical production uh, for any quarterback in, in college football. So the questions with him were, well, is it just a product of that offense or is he actually skilled? Well, he's got time to prove that and figure it out. And, and by the way, get fully healthy. So there's really no expectations on him. He can learn behind Goff and, and kind of get his feet wet and, and figure out where he, you know, is in his pro career. And then maybe when the time comes that you do move on from Goff for whatever reason, then you got that guy waiting in the wings. It's low risk and potentially pretty high reward selection. I love it a lot. Do you see a scenario where Hooker just like red shirts to the point where they still maybe get a Teddy Bridgewater or somebody else? Then you have Sudfeld at three, and maybe Hooker just is standing there and street clothes with clipboards all, all, all season. Do you see a scenario where that could play out? Yeah, I could see that because um, it's really interesting that Teddy Bridgewater is still out there. Uh, you know, the fit I thought was going to be in Green Bay behind Jordan Love, a veteran presence behind somebody like that kind of a similar role to what he played in Miami, even though he couldn't stay on the field for his own health issues. Um, now that that's not really going to be possible with the way that Green Bay went about their offseason, then it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and especially with Hendon coming off of that knee injury, it, it makes additional sense. Um, if you think you're a team that can win the division, you need to have a backup quarterback. I mean, the Steelers today just agreed to a two-year extension with Mitch Trubisky, of all people, because they know that they can count on him to be a, a decent backup. And and right now, it, the, the weird thing is, is, what is the perception of Nate Sudfeld? Because in Philadelphia, people <laughs> spoke very highly of him to the point where he was given the final snaps of a regular season game, a game that they could have gone and won. And instead of yeah. you know, trying to get take one last shot, they're just like, yeah, put Suddy out there. He deserves some reps. He deserves some passes at the end of the season. So is he like that good of a player? Or is he just that good of a guy to have on your team culture-wise? I don't know if that's that doesn't inspire enough confidence in me in, in, in the event that Jared Goff went down. Um, you don't want John Walford back there taking snaps for you like the Rams got stuck with before they went and got Baker Mayfield or Bryce Perkins, those types of players. You want a veteran who's got experience. So that makes a ton of sense. I don't know if they'll do it, um, but it would make a lot of sense if they did go make that addition. Uh, you look at this Lions roster you mentioned before, the division being wide open. What do you like? What do you still think they need as you kind of take a look, a big picture look at this team? Well... Receiver is interesting to me because I thought Khalif Raymond had a very surprisingly productive year for them last year. Yeah. Um, but if you look down their roster and you look down their depth chart, uh, there is a lack of depth at receiver uh, because you're not going to have Jameson Williams for a little bit there. Uh, and once you get him back, then that's going to be a much better situation. But I think if you're trying to target and zero in on one area where they could definitely make an addition, it's receiver. Uh, we're kind of past that point with this draft class, which wasn't the strongest in terms of depth at receiver. 
or well, really at the top. I mean, a lot of the guys that went early probably would have been, you know, later day two picks in previous classes. So um, the top end talent wasn't there. But if I had to pick, it's probably that you could probably also afford another tight end. Um, based on how you look at the the depth chart right now, you got Sam Laporta and a bunch of other guys. You know, Shane Zilstra. You know, whatever. Uh, that's, <laughs> it's it's not like you know you have a ton of depth there either. So um, I'd probably say pass catcher overall is is probably number one for what you want to fill in from there. And then, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit of defensive tackle. I like Christian Covington, you know, adding him. That's a good pickup. He's got some experience, former undrafted guy. Uh, but I, I would probably look at pass catcher and namely receiver. The rest of the division, we're talking to Nick Shook, by the way, from uh, NFL.com, NFL Network. And I said this on Monday on my show here. This Bears hype is nauseating. I, I just, I don't know where you are in Justin Fields and the Bears, but the, the, this this notion that, oh, Chicago's going to push Detroit for the division and, all of a sudden, the Bears are back. I, I'm not ready to push that button just yet. How about you? Well, it's May. And often <laughs> in May, we talk about the teams that have the most draft capital and they make the most exciting additions. And and Justin Fields is a marketable guy. He was you know, a highlight producer last year in a way that the Bears probably don't want him to be long-term, which is with his legs. Yeah. Um, and you had Chase Claypool, and they're all excited about that and you know whatever else. They're better than they were last year, but that doesn't mean that they're going to contend for the division yet. I still don't think they're there. I think it's going to take them another year or two. Um, they can have a reason for optimism. I'm never going to quell the optimism in May, which is optimism season. But uh, as for a team that's actually going to contend for the division, which again is pretty wide open right now, um, I, I would not be putting you know my stock in them at this point right now. They, they, like I said, they should be better, and that should be exciting and hope-inspiring for the Bears fans who have been through a lot in recent years. But you're going to hear them in the cycle because they got a quarterback that everybody likes to watch play and, and they got some promising young talent and everything else. But I think we'll come to realize that they're still a step or two away once the season actually happens. Final thing you look at the NFC, you go, all right, I'm assuming Philly, San Francisco, where, where's Detroit then after that? That's a good question. Um, I, you know, you talk about hype, annoying hype, Bryce Young in Carolina is already getting annoying to me which is funny because that's a team that I think was probably a quarterback away from being competitive. Uh, yeah. We kind of saw that, you know, they got average quarterback play and nearly won the division last year. So the NFC South is wide open, but I think if you look at a team, in the NFC South that people should really be paying attention to, it's the new Orleans saints. Hmm. Um, this is a team that has plenty of talent at receiver. They got Camara, you know, they got, they got enough talent on the offensive side of the ball. They had a defense that was propping them up the last two years. Now you suddenly have Derek Carr, a guy who is unfairly maligned for the majority of his career. And was, I think, unfairly benched in Vegas at the end of last season. Uh, I think he could elevate them. He could bring them the stability that they've been looking for since Drew Brees retired, and they could go win that division. Do I think that they're going to contend for a Super Bowl? No, but I think they could play a spoiler. I think he can get in the playoffs, win that division, and, and cause a little bit of trouble for some of these other teams. But right now, yeah, uh, it's San Francisco, it's Philadelphia, it's Dallas. I'm curious to see if New York takes a step back or not, uh, because a lot of that depends on Daniel Jones and I'm not buying necessarily what they're selling at this point. I think they overachieved last year, and they will come back to earth a little bit, even though they've had a productive offseason. But it is a very largely wide-open conference once you get past Philly and San Francisco. Seattle is interesting to me. Can they replicate what they did offensively last year with Geno Smith? They had a good draft. They have a really exciting receiving core in a, in a deep backfield, which Pete Carroll has proven in the past. When he's got those, he can tend to win football games. I thought they added to the, their secondary with, with the picks they made as well to really kind of round that out, a very productive offseason for them. So I think they're another team that lurks. But right now you got your two Titans in, in the Eagles and, and the 49ers, and Dallas is probably going to have something to say about that as well. So where the Lions fit in to get all the way to the end of this, um, I, they're probably right up there in that top four if they can, hmm. which is crazy because like a year ago we're like, yeah, seven <laughs> wins is probably about your ceiling. And, and they surprised a lot of people, but I think there's a lot of room 
to make significant progress and pull off an upset. I, I tell you what, man, the way they were playing football down the stretch, I know Seattle earned their way into the playoffs, but I would have loved to see Detroit in that game because I think yeah. Detroit um, probably had a higher ceiling at that point. So I would put them – I would. Uh, they would be like above the Giants in the hierarchy. They'd be behind Philadelphia and San Francisco and Dallas. So I, let's put them in the top four at four right now and, and prove me wrong. Move up to three or two. You know, It should be a very exciting season uh, in Detroit for the first time in a long time. Nick, love the conversation. Always love uh, to see and talk to you, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no problem, Matt. Thank you for having me on. Nick Shook with us. Check him out on the NFL Network. Read his stuff at NFL.com. It's a Thursday edition of Locked Online.